To whom much is given, much is required. Part of that requirement is sharing. Culture is the heartbeat within our lives, and it's at the core of so many things. While we live in a time when we are starving for wisdom, I welcome you to your wisdom retreat at Culture Raises Us. Gentry Humphrey, today's guest. Uh, what do I say here? Longtime colleague, friend, mentor from our Nike days, uh, who's literally had his hand on shaping footwork culture with his early days in Nike basketball and his extensive career with Jordan Brand as MJ's footwear guy. Um, I want to welcome G Money to the conversation. And before he walks us through kind of his story, I want to get your thoughts on when you hear culture, what does that mean to you, my friend? First off, brother, it's so good to see you, man. It's been a minute, but it, it feels like it feels like yesterday since we've uh, we've had a chance to chop it up. So love, love you, man, and, and love what man. you do. Thank you, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, as I when you think of culture, I, I, well, let me go to there's two things. So the first one is, I guess, my definition of culture. I think it is the authentic connection and interest that is inherent to a community. And then what makes it even more important or sustainable is the authentic evolution um, that allows one generation to pay it forward to another generation. Um, to me, that's what it's all about when you define what, what, you know, what culture is all about. But when I hear the word culture, I automatically go straight to the world that I've been a part of for so long. And it's, I kind of lump them all into one. It's basketball culture, sneaker culture, street culture. Really the culture of cool <laughs> is, is, is what I've been a part of. And that is a world that intertwines basketball, art, music, and fashion. Facts. You know, and when you are giving that description, I think it's a great segue to giving people a little bit more line of sight about you. I know you very well. I know your journey, but it'd be great to just give a little context of G Money, what you've done, where you've been, what you're all about. Oh, man. So the history is long. Uh, and it sure is. That's why I said very, very un poquito. Give a small piece because we're going to delve into a number of great different conversations and things uh, pertaining to it. But just a little bit, a little bit more sense of gentry. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, what I'm, I think I'm most known for is being able to kind of shape uh, kind of this culture of cool. And it started off with my journey um, with Nike um, and Prior to Jordan becoming its own brand, I was working in Nike basketball and had a lot of things going on there and then was able to um, really be one of the few guys who walked into Mr. Phil Knight's office and sell him on the fact that Jordan had an opportunity to be its own brand. And so when we went in and, and made that pitch, it was really interesting because, um, you know, the first thing and Michael had just retired. And the first thing he said, well, I guess it was a good ride, right? And we're like, hold up. <laughs> yeah, it might have been a good ride, but this brand has a lot uh, a lot more going for it. And that brand has a lot of, e I mean, that logo has a lot of equity. And we believe there's an opportunity to take it to the next level. Now, the crazy thing is, is at that time, I never knew if he was, you know, BSing us, talking about it was a great ride, or if he really was challenging us to make sure that we believed in what we were about to pitch. 
So I think that was the biggest part of of kind of my career. And then it just led to so many other things, meaning so many great people. I mean, I just had so I've just been blessed in so many ways. Blessed is, is a great descriptive. And, you know, I, I literally I've, I've known you since my, my high school years and like my early college years yeah. when you'd be doing market travel and yep. needed someone to take you around New York. Yeah, Now, listen, and meet meet cats to speak to about product. And this is the early years of focus yeah. groups. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, but, but then on the other end of the spectrum um, was me having to step into your old role of yeah. leading, yeah. you know, yeah. Jordan footwear business, where you played such a significant role in shaping not only the internal brand culture, but as well as the larger footwear culture. So you, your fingerprint has literally been put on culture in an undeniable way to say the least. Yeah. And thank you. No, no, please. This is this is facts. You know, footwear obviously plays a significant role in shaping the culture that you were talking about earlier, the definition when you talk about all the different components, arts, fashion, sports, basketball. It'd be interesting to hear from you, given what you said, what particular moment in the early formative years had you realized just how big and instrumental this footwear culture was to overall culture as we know it? Oh, man, you know, it was, it was, I, I think, kind of a blessing in disguise because for me, all I did is I, I love the culture itself. I embraced the culture and I just wanted to make sure that we did right by the consumer that lives in that culture. To me, if you do that, then everything is going to take care of itself, especially from a business standpoint. So like you mentioned, it was super, super important to get out there and touch the people who were in tune with the culture. So my visits to New York to come chop it up with you was because I knew I had to go, uh, I had to tap into the people who were all about it. That's how you stay genuine, authentic, and bring great stories that allow us to do what we needed to do. And quite honestly, like as long as we listened to the consumer and did what the consumer um, you know, thought was was best, you know, everything else took care of itself. So I, I would say there wasn't really a, a I, I guess the eye-opening moment for me was when, um, you know, the decision, I, I kind of made the decision to bring back retro products because what had happened was um, we had tried to bring it back at one time and it failed. We brought back an Air Jordan 3 and it flopped miserably. Um, so I went back and dissected the shoe. And when I what I saw were like 27 small little things. But those small little things added up to one big thing. And, you know, this consumer is quite discerning. You can't fool them. And so they voted by, you know, saying that it wasn't authentic like the original shoe was. So I went back, recrafted it. And when I recrafted it and we brought it back again, it was a huge success. That to me was probably the turning point because people accepted product um, from a lifestyle standpoint more so than having to play with in that product on, you know, on court. And, you know, the Jordan business has always been uh, maybe a little bit ahead of the game in the sense that the sense of sophistication and styling was just as important as the technology. And so, you know, being a part of that kind of helped shape things. Uh, and, and when you saw people wearing it off the court as well as on the court, that was kind of uh, the real moment. When I listened to you, the thing that, that punched through there, which we would talk about so often in the walls at Nike, but not many people really executed, was the consumer deciding. 
Yep. And how much you leaned on consumer insights, how much you leaned on consumers in terms of they are the end goal in terms of who and what we're making. And that punches through in everything that you just said and everything that you do. I, I would love to get your perspective, though, on how do you see this culture transform over the years, if it's from that to other things, and, yeah. and what key shifts you've witnessed during your journey, right? Have you seen a shift away from consumer deciding? Have you seen a shift into other things that have really helped to shape the footwork culture as we know it to date? Yeah, so um, I, I think the consumer always decides. It's just up to various companies to listen to the consumer, you know, mm. and then, and then also not be afraid to tap in because most consumers don't know what they're going to like in the future. So that's right. Gotta, it is our job to lead them. That's right. And you've got to be able to tap into those who are on the cutting edge and willing to, to, you know, to provide that input. You got to listen to them because it's a fine line of, uh, of, you know, going too far as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the biggest thing for me that I've noticed culturally over the years and my journey of being in the footwear industry is that back in the day, it was quite evident that you would have sneaker trends happening. And usually everything would happen in a trend of like five to seven years. After that five and seven year uh, sneaker trend, it usually transitioned into boots. So you had Timberland, Doc Martens, they would go on their ride for maybe like more like a three to five year trend. And then it would go into hard, hard bottoms. You know, people would rock hard bottom, so you, you'd elevate clothing as well. And so I think when the millennials came around, they flipped it all together. Like we've seen and we're still living almost like a 20 year run of sneakers being hot. And right that's now. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of how the, it's evolved more than anything. Um, and so today. You know, it's it's uh, it's appropriate to wear sneakers with suits, sneakers with, you know, just about everything. And so, you know, that that's, I think, the biggest change over the my tenure of being in the footwear industry. The millennials had a huge impact and come to expect, you know, key things out of the footwear, whether it's style, fashion, comfort. There's a lot of things that they come to expect. Uh, and so it's had a. Uh, a profound effect on sneaker culture. Yeah, you know, when you were walking through that, I'm so glad you mentioned the story of the flop of the three, which I don't even think I knew. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I think it's so critical that you mention that is because everybody sees the health of the retro business to date and thinks it's always been that, right? And it yeah. started out that way. No, listen, but, and that's very typical of this generation in these times is that everybody sees the end goal. They don't see the journey to get there. So to hear that it was a flop, to hear that you had to go in and you very detailed 27 things, which <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it literally was 27 things knowing you that you had to refine and that you had to obsess and that you had to work through to get it to where it is. People in, in the next generation of what I call cultivators need to hear these things, right? To know what it takes. And it's interesting because I remember when I was on the sportswear side of things and you were at Jordan and we were working on ideas for the 25th year anniversary of Air Force One. And we came to you with an idea that would later become fusion. So when you're talking about the resurrection, no, it's such a great story. I, I really need to share that story right now. on the Jordan side of this. And you know what, actually, I'm just going to go in. I'm just going to go in. So 
I'm, I'm going to walk everybody through what was taking place. So on Sportswear, we were trying to figure out how to have the biggest celebration of the Air Force One. And one of the chapters, we decided we were going to highlight current athletes. So we put like Kobe and all these other guys on the Air Force One. And then we did the different um, cities where it was resurrected, i.e. Baltimore, Philly, New York. Da, da, da. And then we were like, how do we close this out? So we had this idea of, man, the best of both worlds. Let's bring the Air Force One and, the jo and, and Jordan together. And so our guy, Mark Dolce, I mean, killed it. And Ron killed it, put this whole thing together. And I was like, look, we can't do this without getting the okay. Like, we can't do this. And they were like, all right, well, let's go pitch it to G. So pitch it to G. G was like, ah, really not feeling it, da da da, whatever. Let's just pass. <laughs> no, this, this guy's so good. So pass. And they were like, all right. And then months later, we hear about fusion, Jordan fusion, which, why this is so monumental, because you talked about how the retro business, you know, you had to build it. And there were points where it wasn't doing too well, but this was at a point where the retro business was so booming that you had to find something to give it a rest because it was going and being run way too hard by the market who was asking us on a regular basis, we need more retro, we need more retro. And this was a big revenue driver, for not only Jordan, but for Nike Inc., significant. Yep. So the legendary part was that G took this concept and this idea, ran with it, developed it, created a whole offering, and you just talked about cycles, five to seven years. I forgot how many years you ran with Fusion, but what that did was it took so much pressure off the retro business yep. so that the demand was then through the roof of yep. bringing it back. And Fusion really helped to resurrect and keep healthy that retro business. Yeah, uh, uh, you know it's fast, fascinating. It was a hilarious story. But <laughs> are are there are there any moments or other innovations for you that stand out as particularly significant in your career or in the industry? Uh you know, um, I think probably one of the one of the most what I believe underrated shoes in the Jordan line that I was a part of um, was the Jordan Twenty Three. And the, and the reason I say that is because everybody today, so over the last, let's just say five, six years, everybody's talking about sustainability. You know, how do you use, uh, you know, uh, materials that are more sustainable and green friendly and all these things. Well, we were talking sustainability back in 20 in, in 2009, 2008, when that shoe was being developed. And the right. Jordan 23, it used water-based solvent. Like it was a shoe that was so far ahead of its time um, from a sustainable nature. It's the one that started like, you know, uh, started manufacturing to look at solvents in a different way. And so the storytelling around that shoe was phenomenal. Um, you know, the juxtaposition between the hand craftsmanship of Native American Indian culture and uh, Michael's love for motorcycles is what blended the two. You would never think of doing anything like that. So to me, being a part of that shoe was really probably one of the most exciting because it talked about sustainability before anyone was even thinking about sustainability. And then, um, and that was a lot of kudos to to Taker Hatfield, who was who was a, a part of that journey. And um, and then the storytelling just you know brought it all together. So that that to me would probably be the 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 other big one that I feel like was was really significant. Yeah, that's totally a reflection of being a visionary, right? Which yeah. we were talking about early in terms of consumers not knowing what they need, may need or want, 
but being able to deliver against something that you know is significant, right? You yep. knew, y'all knew that the significance of being environmentally conscious in terms of how to construct product was something that we needed to do as a brand. Yep. And you stepped yep. out there as, as a leader and as a visionary to do so, even though it wasn't in the masses. Yep. And I, I look at you continue to do that as you've recently launched your own brand with code, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the inspiration behind setting and starting that brand, its core values, how it embodies your personal ethos and, and what you kind of aim to bring to the future of the sneaker and, and streetwear culture through code. Okay. Well, yeah, so, you know, code is a culmination of a lot of things. You know, I've always said that the best way to create something new is to identify problems that exist out there and then find new ways of creating them. And so literally when I started code, that's pretty much what I did is I looked at several things that I felt were problems in the, in the sneaker industry and I just tried to address them. Um, and so I'll, I'll walk through a few of them just to kind of give you an idea. Please. So the first one, first one being like, and you know this really well, I believe that consumers respect what people and what brands bring when they understand the stories behind why this product exists. And so you don't see any type of storytelling in this world of where my brand lives, which is this hybrid world that blends kind of casual dress shoes with sneaker culture. There's no storytelling there. So everything that I do within my brand has a reason for being, and there's a story behind every single thing, right down to the name and the, and the logo. So if you look at the logo, one of these, the things that we say is we want to be able to offer products to our consumer 24-7. So if you look at our logo, the logo has a C on it, and the C has seven dots in it. The rest of the letters, the rest of the dots, O-D-E, are made out of the, the next dots, which make up 24 dots. So the whole notion of 24-7 comes, comes into play even in our logo. Um, when you look at um, the, the things that, that should be inherent to footwear today is comfort. And again, this is something you'll know as well. Most people think of like leathers and materials um, in the upper that are going to lead to comfort. And they're charged with hitting certain margins. So one of the first things that always usually gets thrown out to, to help margins when the costing of the shoe comes in are sock liners. Well, I, I started with the sock liner. The sock liner was going to be the most important thing for me because it's what's the first point of contact that a consumer has when they put on a shoe. So if you look at our sock liners, they're beautifully crafted. Um, there's a comfort level where you get that aha moment as soon as you put them on. And then we tried to be a little special with it by providing um, a little customization to it. So when you put on our shoe and you wear it for four or five times, the, the memory foam actually starts to craft or conform to your foot. So wow. if you, you and I both wear the same size after five or six wearings and you try my shoe, and it's not going to really feel right to you because it's actually started to form to my foot. Mm. Same way that yours would form your foot. So that comfort element was really key for me. Um, then I would say the other thing for, that was important for me was um, being able to do it right. Like I saw companies that were out there that were trying to do this hybrid footwear. They would put a soft bottom on, on, a, on a shoe and then put a wingtip upper on a shoe. Well, most consumers that we tap into, they're not trying to rock with wingtips, you know? Right. So 
I just took elements that were familiar to sneaker culture, elevated them, and and with through materials, through construction, and just allowed people to see a whole new elevated look of what sneakers could be. And then I gave them three personalities. If you see them in all white, then they look like luxury sneakers. When you see them in all black with the material choices that we've made, they clearly can be worn with a suit. Same shoe. And mm-hmm. then I wanted to create a sense of fashion to it. So if you're going out on a date with your girl, you're trying to look fly, then you know what? We You can rock some that have studs and suede and pinks and all those different colors all in one shoe. And so I feel like we give uh, consumers a chance to rock our product. They love a particular style. They can rock that style all day, all night. But then the most important thing I, th- I wanted to bring to the brand was a sense of give back to young mm-hmm. crea- to young creatives. So, so you know this just as well as I do. In our old world, we would build product signature shoes for athletes. We would try to create a product, tell a story from a performance lens, and then tell a component of the shoe that speaks to who that athlete might be. So that when kids go out and purchase the product, they're getting a little piece of that athlete. The athlete then gets a royalty against it and everybody goes on their merry way. Well, I just felt like there are a ton of young creatives out there. You know, everybody had a tendency to collab with the well-known folks. I, as I started to travel the marketplace, there were several young kids out there, young adults that just had tremendous talent. And I just felt like they needed to have a shot as much as some of these well-known uh, designers have. And so what Code does is we seek out, and we seek them out in a couple of ways. Obviously, we search the net and find people who have those talents. But we also uh, combine our efforts with a, a, a school and an art school in LA called Inner City Arts. We identify young talent there. We allow them to take our product, veneer it through their concepts, tell their stories on our shoes. We sell the, that product for them, and we give the royalties to them. Wow! The same way that we did, you know, back in the day, we would give it to athletes. We give it to these young up-and-coming designers so that they can start their own companies. Uh, if they're super young, because we deal with kids as young as eight years old on up to 22 years old. If they're super young, we allow them to take that money and use it for scholarship money to go to art school or whatever they have interest in. And to me, that was probably the biggest impetus for wanting to try to start this brand so that I could pay it forward to the next generation of young creatives. Yeah, you know, you, you've you always gone deep in terms of product creation, and it was never a surface exchange or transaction. And this is no different when you talk about the depth of what you're doing in code. And one of the things I think plays a very key role, which you've already mentioned, is the art of storytelling. Yeah, We've always known how impactful storytelling can be on footwear, which is pretty interesting because I, I look at it as it was always our opportunity for us to be educators. Yeah, yep. with 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 a tool with a tool and a medium that resonated with the youth, right? So they weren't going to get these things in school, but we can find a way to educate and inform. Why is storytelling for you though so critical in today's consumer landscape, right? Because now, I, I think you know it's information overload. I mean, right. people get info at 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 the be- like in a second, Google whatever, where 
years ago when we first started this notion of storytelling and using these canvases to do so, like you'd have to travel to certain places to really feel an experience, right? Mm -hmm. Or you had to be at that moment, which we then captured. Help me with how and why is storytelling crucial in today's consumer landscape? I think it's important because, um, you know, there's the, the, the world now that we live in now from a footwear point of view is convoluted to, to your point. There's like a lot of companies out there doing a lot of things. The reason I feel like storytelling is important is because it allows consumers to realize that a design, there's a means to an end. So the analogy that I always like to give and in, in, in the teams that I lead when it comes to designing the product, I always tell them the story. If you go into a museum and you see a painting by Picasso, the first thing you might look at is like, oh my God, what is this dude smoking? You know, because Picasso got all these crazy geometric shapes. He's got eyeballs over here. He's got eyeballs over here. He's got dark areas, bright colored areas. He's, and and you look up and that painting is worth millions of dollars. And you look at it and you're like, damn, my son could have done that, you know? <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and and so you you don't really appreciate it. You You look at it and you're like, okay, it is what it is. But then you read the composition that is next to the painting about what Picasso was going through in his life. He had dark times in his life. And this painting represented the dark times of his life. The eyeball that sits in that dark area is him being able to vision, envision himself coming out of those dark times and into the light. So now you've got these bright colors. And once you start to understand the context of the composition, you now have to look at that painting with much more respect. That's right. That, that's the same way that I believe st what storytelling does for product. If people can understand why it exists and it's just not a random object, it's not just designed this way because I thought it was cool because that's a very subjective point of view. If you can talk to the stories and the reasons behind why this exists, now you're giving people a chance to respect and appreciate the piece of art and footwear that you've created. So to me, it's a way of allowing people to respect what you've done. Uh, without that context of storytelling, it's just arbitrary. Yeah. You talk about respecting what somebody's done. And as I obviously respect everything you've done in the industry and in this culture to date, you're now making a transition into this entrepreneurial piece, right? Yeah. And as a black entrepreneur in a very dynamic and influential space, what, what strategies do you believe are kind of essential for black owners to succeed and excel in industries that have historically been dominated by large players, for lack of a better term? Yep, yep. Well, I think the first thing is, is um, you got to be authentic, you know, be authentic. And again, if you're truly, if you truly understand your consumer and the culture that your consumer is all about, rock with it because- mm -hmm. Some of these big companies, these Fortune 500 companies, aren't as close to the consumer as you think. I mean, as you think they are. And um, with that, they also move at a much slower pace. So if you're authentic to who your consumer is and you're really dialed, you can connect with them in a, maybe a much more pure and authentic way than some of the big box guys, you know, are, are trying to do it. Um, that would be the first thing I'd say. The second thing I would say is make sure that you understand 
the the business side <laughs> of the world because you got to be able to play that game as well. Um, and some of the things that, from a business side that that people I think uh, oversee, they just they just expect some things to come their way. You're gonna have to as a young entrepreneur, you're gonna like b- being an entrepreneur isn't for everybody. No. <laughs> And, 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 and so you find out really quick when when times of trouble come and usually those times of trouble come in the very beginning. So if you're able to sustain it, fight through it and you realize that you're, you're going to push through and you've got the right people behind you, you don't have to have all the answers, but you've got a team of people that are going to allow you to get there. I think that is one of the biggest mistakes that people have is they they either give up too soon because they believe that you know, the, 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 the problems or the trials and tribulations are too tough to overcome and they don't, you know, go after it. And so they end up, you know, falling by the wayside. Um, and then they don't have a strong team of people because as an entrepreneur, yes, you want to understand everything, but you can't do everything. That's so, right. not, so, so you got to have a team of people that you, that you truly rely on that are kind of the experts in their field to help you get there. And yes, you can manage it and you can, you know, make the final decisions, but it's it's up to you to find great people to help you plow through that. You know, and as I talked about your transition and as I'm listening to you answer the question, it makes me realize you already had a very distinct entrepreneurial mindset, even in your corporate world, because yeah. when you talk about developing a people, that was one of the things that you did extremely, extremely well as I mean, damn near, you had like a cult following of people. But no, but but it was because you poured into them so much and you allowed them to pour into you yeah. and into the business yeah. so much. You truly empowered a group of people that who are now, some are still within the industry, some have left the industry, but they rocked with you because of that mentality that you just shared. So you've exemplified that way before even going into code and any other entrepreneurial venture that you're you're now into and it's 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 great to see you speak to that because it's prevalent and it's very obvious in the way that you've handled yourself and carried yourself over the years and with others and i now look at you know sneaker culture often kind of intersects with say a broader social and cultural movements and i would love to know how does code kind of engage with or contribute to these conversations and how do you envision your brand making a positive impact beyond the realm of just fashion and I think you spoke on it a little bit in terms of the school that you're tapping into and having those designers get a a piece of the pie for lack of a better term but are there other ways in which you're kind of trying to touch on these broader social and cultural movements and opportunities yeah, so so the biggest one I think we we mentioned already is is the impact that I hope to bring to young creatives. I just believe, you know, being able to pay it forward. Like I I thought about the the what people would call my legacy at at you know within Nike and Jordan, but to me, because I had a guy that approached me and wanted to write a book a long time ago, and I was like, ah, you know, I'm not ready for that right now because I think there's bigger stories for me to to to. Uh, to, to take on. And that one is the biggest one I, I would say is being able to, to help young creatives. I think besides that, um, what I hope code is also bringing is, you know, a, a, a new perspective in the world of fashion. 
Like, I do believe, like, you know, as much as I love Air Force Ones and Air Jordan Ones, um, especially all white, you know, most people say they go with everything, but they really don't go with everything. You know, like you can force them to go with everything, um, but there's still they don't have like if you throw on a, a really nice pair of jeans and you throw on a nice blazer, you're going out to a nice dinner and you want to just elevate your game. They could work, but if you had something that kind of looked at, looked somewhat similar to to that product, but had a little more style and sophistication to it, to me, that allows you to take your game up a notch. And so hopefully what code will do is allow consumers all over the world to understand that they can elevate their game a little bit um, with our product. Uh, and I just believe that as trends, you know, kind of come, go and move, I believe that we're on the cusp of seeing some of this uh, quickly approaching. Right. And so I guess that's part of the the evolution that you see uh, of sneaker culture um, and the role that code is going to play in shaping and influencing kind of that trajectory. Yep. Yep. 100%. Love it. As a, again, back to this entrepreneur piece, because I, I think this is an awesome place to kind of go a little deeper. What are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned? or that you would like to kind of share with other aspiring black business owners aiming to make their mark in a competitive and dynamic industry? Oh man. So, you know, the biggest thing is, is when you're an entrepreneur, you're always on. So, 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 you know, you can uh, work for a fortune 500 company. You could, you know, be dedicated to that company but ultimately, you can go home and, you know, forget about it for a little bit until the next day comes. As an entrepreneur, you're always on. Like, That's right. you're right. just thinking all the time. Like, you, you're you're constantly thinking about what it's going to take, how you're going to make things different. Um, so you're always on. So what I try to do is make sure, because I'm always on, and I chose to ch tackle three businesses on my own, so... I'm on like three times now. <laughs> so, but, but what, what I realized though, is in order to stay uh, really sharp in order to do the things that I need cre to do creatively, as well as um, to create that business savvy that I need on the business side, I've got to balance that off with me time. Like right. I've got to yes. have that time to, to free my mind up, to be clear and to do what I need to do um, for me um, so that I can be recharged and energized and I can recharge and energize my team uh, as we ta go take tackle each task. So the importance of being able to balance, you know, work-life balance is real. Right. That That is the biggest thing I think uh, most entrepreneurs, you know, should, should you know, take into consideration because you're always on. Like you're just, you're thinking nonstop, nonstop. But if you get so consumed, you might think you're doing your 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 brand, you know, a, a huge service, but you might be doing a disservice because you're not really giving it your 100 percent because you're not fully uh, energized to give that 100 percent. So that you know, it's crazy. It's it's crazy because it's like there's a level of guilt that a number of people feel by having that me time. And because then they they attribute that to I'm not contributing 100 percent to the thing that I'm investing in when it's the complete opposite. That's right. You are 
You yeah. can't you can't give what you don't have in your tank. That's right. And so that's why you're out there on that golf course hitting that ball so often so that you can fill up the tank of all the businesses that you are. Listen, bro, I, I see it now. I see it. I got the blueprint. I got the blueprint. 100, dude, that is that's it. That is it. And, and you know, it, it's so funny. Like, you're thinking, you're thinking, oh, I'm out here grinding. I'm doing it. But you're really doing yourself a disservice because you're not really giving it your all because you're no. not energized. So... To me, that's the biggest one that I've noticed because it is real. You are always on. Right. It is your when it's your now the good thing is it's your deal. So, you know, you, you don't have to necessarily answer to people. You don't have to necessarily do certain things that you feel like a company should be doing because you can make that call, but you are always on. <laughs> that's right. And like you said, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Right. Um, and corporate America is not for everybody, the corporate game, but there are those who thrive on either side and some who thrive in both. And as we look at, I want to go to the side of those who are still in the corporate mindset. Right. And I'd love to get an understanding of what your message for up and coming marketers or creators who are likely going to be pursued by these big, you know, sportswear brands. What should they keep in mind when it comes to maximizing their potential and being properly compensated for their talents? And while I'm saying these words intentionally of properly compensated, I look back at our trajectory and our journey and all that we gave to a number of brands and situations. Many would say, oh, y'all were nowhere near compensated what you should have been. But again, you're within a bigger system and it was our job to deliver against these things. So cool. I think now that we know better and now that we see how what are the tools we can give to this next generation who are coming into these roles to ensure that their compensation is a little bit more reflective of what it is they're providing for these different brands yeah so again i'll just speak from my experience um i think everybody needs to know their real value and it, and you have to self-reflect like some people there's some people out there that think they're better than they really are, <laughs> you know? And, and, and if you get caught up in that game, then, you know, it, it's, it, it can be a tricky road for you because you have to be able to, um, you know, balance your professionalism in a fortune 500 company, because one, you're not always going to be right. <laughs> right. And so you, so you got to learn how to navigate through, uh, through folks who have a big, bigger business card than you do. You've got to learn how to maximize your influence skills. And, you know, thinking that you're bigger than you are is usually a a, uh, a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, at the same time, if you truly are as good as you are, you let your work speak for itself. And once your work speaks for itself, then you end up putting yourself in a position where you have leverage. So, again, I'll just right. use my personal examples. You know, throughout my career at at Nike, I think I had 17 jobs. I interviewed for one, and that was the very first one. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I just let my work speak for itself. And as you started to um, achieve certain accomplishments and it led to success, it was quite natural that the company was going to look at you to take on bigger tasks. And so sometimes those tasks, you might think like, they're not for you, but you got to look at kind of all the benefits of it. So 
for me, it was just let my work speak for itself and allow people to understand what my true value is. Now, when I got to a position where I felt like I had achieved a ton of things, and at one point in time, it felt like I didn't think that the company was, uh, they, they valued me the way that they should, I then had all the leverage because my work had spoken for itself. So if I chose to go somewhere else, I wasn't worried about like finding another job, you know, because my resume was, was solid. Mm -hmm. So, so, so at that point is when the company said, you know what, you're right. You know, they had to kind of step up. And so that's when the point of where I had leverage. Now, when you're in a fortune 500 company, a lot of times, like, you're not going to get probably the compensation that you probably should because That's right. it's, it's just the nature of a Fortune 500 company. But if you do all the things necessary to prove your value, the leverage that you then have speaks for itself when you choose to leave, when you choose to go somewhere else or whatever. So, you know, unfortunately, the company's going to use you. You might have devote all your time and energy uh, to do the things that you do best and the company's maybe going to get more out of you than they probably should. But if you continue to play the game the right way and you continue to show success and, and, and achievements within what you're doing, ultimately there comes a point when you have the leverage. And that's what we all strive for. That's right. And so there, there are so many things that you just said there. And, and so I want to dissect a little bit of that. Um, first off, your value doesn't decrease based off of someone's inability to see your worth. Is something that I think individuals definitely need to be cognizant of. The other thing when in these spaces is, and, and, and we've had these conversations and we've heard them a ton of times because we get into meetings with people who, like, let's keep this 100, aren't as knowledgeable or savvy in the spaces in which we live and that we've created, that you have to acquiesce to some of the decisions. And the thing that we'd always say to one another and others is, look, this ain't our company. Yep. Yep. It's not our company. So yep. we can give all the insight and guidance based off of the role that they've put us in. But at the end of the day, if they make the choice to go a different direction, you like there's no need to die on the sword for it. Like it's not our company. Like I, I remember <laughs> but look, it took a while. It took a while yeah. to get there, bro, because right. for a while we felt like this. What do you mean? This is our company. That's right. We, we help make this what it is. What are you talking about? But yep. in the grand scheme, it is not our company. So then you had to get that mental state of, wow, you know what? You're right. This isn't my company. I'm yep. just doing my job. And if they choose to go in a different direction based off of what I've provided, then that's on them to do so. And I think if you, if any young, you know, up and coming marketer can keep those two things based off of what you just said in mind, it will help your ability to navigate through these systems and these cultures and environments um, and thrive. Yep, yep, 100%. The, the other thing I think that, is, that needs to be said of this new generation, you know, we're in a world now that, um, you know, you have access to information, like everything. everything. Overload. It's, a, it's an yeah. overload. It's an information cool. overload. I don't even yeah. know what TV show to watch anymore, bro. There's so much content <laughs> out. It's crazy. Exactly. And, it, and it's at your... Um, Exposure really quick. Yeah. So so I think one of the things that I that I hope this young generation um, 
starts to learn to appreciate is that, yes, there's things that you can have at your fingertips. But, you know, nowadays you have young adults coming in thinking that they need to be CEOs of Fortune 500 companies Yesterday. at 22 Yesterday. years old, you know? Yesterday. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I love the, the, the mindset that they have for that. But with that comes experience. And that experience allows you to make great decisions. You know, without those experiences, you, 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 you are forced to make decisions, you know, maybe on a whim. So if you've been put in a, in a particular position and you've had to understand kind of the good and bad of a decision, you now know that when you get in that position, you know, next time, you know how to navigate through it a little bit more. And so I would love for this, this young generation to just absorb some of that knowledge that they get from, from the old heads and, and, and use that experience to help get them to where they want to be faster. Because I yeah. think that's the biggest mistake that this young generation makes. Yeah, I'm, I, I have this knowledge. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. I should be the next VP. Well, yeah, you might be really, really good but there's still some things that come with experience that you're going to have to learn from people that is going to make you even more powerful than you think. You don't even know how powerful you can be. That's take right. the time, take the time to get this knowledge and experience so that you can be even better than you think you are. Such a great gem to share. Such a great gem. You know, I um I obviously know that you have an, an affinity for music as well and it's so funny cuz MJ's have been a part of your life forever <laughs> literally yeah no you know where we're going so I, I do remember michael Jackson having a special place in your heart um and, and i'll let you explain if you want to how how deep of a of a, a of a impact michael jackson has had on you but yeah. i I'm, I'm looking at the the gentry humphrey life documentary is about to come on the screen on the big screen and what's the opening song that's playing for the G Money Life Story documentary. Uh <laughs> well now that you set now that you set me up, I gotta go with an MJ song because there's some stuff there, but uh <laughs> it's probably gonna be you wanna be starting something. <laughs> mm. and, and why? <laughs> <laughs> uh mainly because I always um my brain is always going. I'm I, I feel like one of the gifts that I have is is the gift of being somewhat of a visionary and trying to create the future. And not that it's, you know, it's magic or anything. It's it's just I have a huge interest in seeing the end in mind and then working back to, to, to see what it looks like to get there. And so you want to be starting something is like like is is about everything that I do. Like I'm I'm when I try to start something, I'm I'm looking at it in a grand way. I'm looking at it in a very different way than what people see it, um, and that that you know that's probably it. Uh, <laughs> since you set me up with the MJs, I might as well tell everybody. <laughs> please, please, story time, bro. Please, because I don't want, I don't want to do it at the service, bro. I, I think you need to own that space and do you, bro. Yeah, this is a, might be a skeleton in my closet, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, I started my footwear career as, um, in, in working for a retailer called Nordstrom and I worked, started in the, in the, uh, shoe department and there was a beautiful gentleman by the name of Steve Anderson who gave me an opportunity, you know, well, that's the other thing I'll, I'll sidebar real quick. 
anybody who's had some level of success, they've had someone in their life that has believed in them and allowed them to, 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 to prosper. And so this, this, this gentleman worked at Nordstrom and he was just so good to me. Um, and he allowed me to, to, to live in the shoe world. He taught me some things and then I just ran with things that I thought were right. Um, but I started in the shoe world at Nordstrom and, uh, (laughs) to raise money for charity one year, they, um, they had a talent show. And this was back in the day, you know, from really early 80s to late, uh, mid 80s to late 80s. Um, so in this talent show, Michael Jackson was super hot back in the day. And I was like, and I was always a kid that, you know, could dance a little bit. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to do a Michael Jackson routine. And so, <laughs> so I'm sitting there doing all the hand movements of Michael, spins, all that stuff. And uh, so I, I go to uh, the talent show and I actually win the talent show doing a Michael Jackson impersonation. At the time, it was a combination of uh, uh, singing. I did a, a lip, lip sync and a singing combination. And so I could never sing and dance at the same time. I just didn't have the win. I don't know how that man did it that way. That's right. I mean, he did it for a long time, two hours on stage, singing and dancing. There's no way I could do that. So I would sing like a, a slow song to open it up, and then I'd go into a dance routine, uh, lip sync. And uh, I ended up winning the contest. And afterwards, everybody, pe- people were coming up to me, how much do you charge for private parties and all this stuff? And I was like, what? And then uh, I was like, I don't know. Here, call. Here's my card. Call me, and we'll figure it out. But I ended up doing uh i did bar mitzvahs for like i did like three songs for like five grand you know i was like making crazy money i traveled to uh thailand and did some shows with a uh a prince lookalike uh madonna lookalike and got paid off so it became kind of part of my life while i was going to school in college and uh and working at nordstrom and so, yeah, so that MJ was a part of my life as well. That, that, that is classic and priceless. And it was God It was God letting you know by, by any means there was going to be an MJ association to your success and your trajectory. He was just getting you started a little early with, with Michael Jackson and then Michael Jordan, which is hilarious. Hilarious. Well, only you could pull that out of me, boy. Otherwise, I would have denied that to the to the <laughs> to your grave, to your grave. Yeah. Well, look, we 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 always end these with you know three seeds that you'd want to leave with the stewards of culture moving forward. Like three important things that you just feel are imperative to kind of maneuver, grow, and more importantly, shape this thing moving forward. So, uh, I, I mentioned it earlier. First one is. You gotta be authentic. Be you. Mm-hmm. Be you. Nobody, nobody can can be you better than you. <laughs> so, so that's right. Be the best you you can be, and everything will take care of itself. Um, but that authenticity is just so important because people read through the fake. So Man. the first one is be, be authentic. The second one is I would say is just be super passionate about what it is. Um, if you're super passionate in life and you're doing something that you truly enjoy doing, then work won't always feel like work. So if you got to work for, you know, most of your life, it sure is more fun to enjoy it versus like waking up every day saying, 
damn, I got to go do this. Um, and what you'll notice when you get into that space is that when work doesn't feel like work, you'll put in the hours naturally. And, right. the, and the outside world's perception of you is like, damn, this dude is like always killing it. He's dedicated. He's And so that perception allows people to see you in a different light. And that light then allows you to elevate yourself within the organization if you're talking about being a part of a company. So be passionate about it. Be the best you that you can be. Um, and then I think the, the last thing is, is, you know, just don't give up. You know, um, when your back's up against the wall, you've got to be willing to fight. You know, uh, as I said earlier, not every being an entrepreneur and, and plowing through things isn't for everybody. And if that's not you, then that's OK. You can still be successful, but you'll know if if something's for you or not. If you're willing to put in the work, the dedication and if your back's up against the wall, that's when you learn most about yourself. You know, one of the things I'll, I'll share a quick story that um, that that really shaped not only my professional life, but my personal life. So I at one point in my career, Jordan business was booming. It was killing. Like, you know, people were lined up and the report card was AAA because everybody was lined up out in front of retail doors trying to buy the stuff that me and the team created. And at one point, the organization came to me and said, hey, look, we know what you did here. We now want you to um, take on this new role. And this new role is a gen uh, general manager role for the rest of the world uh, for Jordan. So at the time, the business was 90% done in the U.S. Yeah. Yep. And so in order to take it to that next level, it had to be more global. So they gave me three people to work with to, to, to work with the rest of the world. And mind you, you go to Europe, basketball wasn't the primary sport. It was everything was about soccer or what they call That's football. Right. Um, across the world, basketball was, you know, second, third, fourth. Outside of China, basketball was not uh, a key business. Then on top of that, I had to go up against people that were on the Nike side who had their basketball initiatives with a whole army of people. Army. And I was like, this feels like a setup. Like I went from doing something that I truly love to something that like is going to be super, super challenging. And at first I was like going to say, no, I'm not doing it. But finally I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot because I know there's something that I'm going to learn from it. And at the end of the day, if I walk away um, from it, I can always go back to what I did. So what I ended up doing is um, I took that, that, that the job. I had to focus on uh, the geographies that mattered. And um, one, of a, one of the ones that I said changed my life was when I looked, went to Paris and I found uh, this basketball event that's called the K-54. And I just fell in love with the people. I mean, when I first went there, if you close your eyes, you would have thought you were in the U.S. The hip hop was the, a part of the culture of the event. Basketball was part of the event. You had girls there because there were guys there. Like people were fashionable. I was like, this is crazy. And so it allowed me to really understand that I could touch people even in a bigger way than just creating great footwear.
because in that city of Paris, it was the only event where people of color had a chance to come together and create a festival um, around the sport and around culture. And so that, it changed my life in a sense of once I saw that and how important it was and how I saw that those pockets exist all over the world, I started my own foundation where I build basketball courts in underprivileged parts of the world and I bring music, basketball, art, all that together, you know, provide a give back, um, allow kids to um, help us build these courts so that when we walk away from the courts, they feel like they own it. Um, they have, they, you know, take pride in what they helped create. Um, and that's where you make it a little bit more sustainable. So I say all that to say that, you know, sometimes you have to put, you have to be willing to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Facts. And shout out to T, uh, who that was his baby out there yeah. at Cape 54, who's an amazing human being as well. But I'm so glad that you shared that as such a, a key moment, a pivotal moment in your personal and professional of being put into something that you were probably a little resistant to, yep. but then being able to see the growth that came from it, which was awesome. Yep. Gee, man, you know, we could keep this conversation going for another three <laughs> hours easily, <laughs> easily. And I, I, I truly want to thank you for not only today, but thank you for all that you've contributed. I mean, since day one of literally knowing you from my high school, you know, early college years, you have remained the same and you have been consistent. You've been a help. You've been assistant. You've been a challenger as well. And I, I just look at all the things and people that you've poured into. Um, I think you, I want to applaud you for all that and know that I'm sure this is just the beginning as crazy as that may sound right. uh, of what's going to happen with you in, in regards to continuing to pour into people and the culture. And for that, a sincere well done. And thank you, bro. Dude, I'm super appreciative. Uh, thank you for the, for the kind words. Um, and you know, you yourself, I, I'm super proud of you too, you know, cause like you said, I, I met you when you were high schooler, but you know, I always saw in you, someone who was, you know, on the pulse of things and you've continued to stay true to that, but you've also grown in the sense of being able to mentor people and just guide people in and, and share people, share with people your learning so that they could also prosper. Um, I love you, love you, what you've done with your family. I know I'm super excited. And then later on, we got to catch up on how the girls are doing because I'm sure yes. they're just killing it as well. But Thank you for for having me on and and allowing me to share my story and hopefully, you know it's it provides some sort of inspiration for folks who look like me at, that they can, you know, strive and do things just as as I have and even greater. We truly appreciate your support because it helps us fulfill our mission of promoting cultural awareness and personal development. Please click the subscribe button below to help ensure and solidify our mission.